Would you remain standing now out of respect for God's word as I read our sermon text, Psalm 134. This is the inspired word of God. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that as we gather to praise you, that you receive our praise, not because of our goodness or righteousness, but because of that of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we pray that you would, during this time now, open our eyes that we might see your truth, that we might know your love, that we might experience your grace, and that we might walk faithfully with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this week was General Assembly, and so it was a, a busy week for me in terms of being gone pretty much all week and not having as much time for sermon preparation. And so I, I in planning ahead, made a plan for that. I thought, I know what I'll do. The week of General Assembly, I'll pick a really short psalm to prepare for. That way, you know, it, it, there's less digging into what the word says because there's simply less of the word to dig into it made sense it, it's it's a good plan now i don't promise you that shorter text equals shorter sermon we'll see where things go this morning uh, but but as we come to this psalm the 134th psalm we see it is uh the last of the psalms of ascent we've Look, these last couple of weeks, it's these psalms of ascent, these psalms that were sung by the people of God as they were on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, as they came to worship God at these special religious festivals. They would, they would come and they would sing these 15 psalms from 120 to 134 as part of their journey. And as we come to this one here, 134, the very last of these psalms, it's, it's the one that's sung at the end of the journey, of course. Now, I, I think it's not just intended to be sung at the end of the traveling to Jerusalem, actually. Most commentators suggest that it, it actually is evoking the, the time when they have finished their time in Jerusalem and are headed home. They're returning back from Jerusalem to their homes. This would be a song that would be sung at that time, and it, it actually is a, a responsive reading of sorts. Right? Sometimes we'll do that where, where I will read something and then you'll read in response to that. Sometimes it goes back and forth a few times. Uh, but, but this would be a responsive reading kind of in reverse to what's normally the case. It starts off in verses 1 and 2 with the congregation speaking. And then the priest would respond in verse 3. So as we look at this, we, we want to figure out first what do the people say? Verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. And it starts with this word, come. And he's not, they're, they're not saying, we don't want to misunderstand this, 
They're not saying to the priests, okay, we're leaving, come with us. That's not what they're saying there. The sense of come is not that sense of, of leaving the place that you are and going to a different place. Perhaps we could better understand this term if we translated it as behold, or, or maybe pay attention, or perhaps rather inelegantly, hey, right? And we, we use this kind of terminology sometimes, don't we? At Christmas time, what do we sing? But, oh, come, all ye faithful, right? And adore, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Now, now we're not saying that we're actually going someplace when we sing that. We, we're usually standing like right here, and we're just going to be standing right here as we stand. Or at the beginning of worship today, right? Christina sang for us as, as an introit. And she's saying, come, now is the time to worship. And then, and then we sang, come, Christians joined to sing, right? We're, we're, we're not going anywhere necessarily, but we're calling our hearts and our minds to, to pay attention, to, to give attention to the Lord, to worship him, to, to be a blessing to him, and to join together in that worship. So here we see in Psalm 134 that exact thing going on. Come, bless the Lord. But this call is going out specifically, not just to the congregation as a whole, but directly at least to the priests in the temple. Right? We, we know that because it says, come, all you servants of the Lord. Now, there are lots of uses of this term, servants of the Lord, that, that are in the Bible. It can mean lots of different things. Sometimes, the Lord refers to his servants as, as basically anything he has created. Right? Even like the stars and the, the, the moon and the sun are servants of the Lord in the sense that he has created them for a purpose, and they do that purpose, in fact, they do it better than we do often, right? Because they do what they're supposed to do. The sun rises each day and it sets each day, right? As the Lord has ordered it. If only I were to do all that the Lord had ordered for me to do each day, right? Uh, we, we fail in it. And so there's a sense in which the inanimate objects of our world, right? The, 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 these these non-human, non-animal uh, objects are are in many ways better servants of the Lord than we are. But that's not what he's talking about here. Sometimes he refers to his servants as all, all people, right? And, and all the people of the world. But, but that's not what he's talking here. Sometimes he's specifically pointing to the nation of Israel, right? That they are his servants. And indeed, um, that is so. And the church now would be the correlation to that. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not even talking about his his loving, faithful, obedient people. He's talking specifically about those who are serving in the temple. And we know that because of what it says right after that. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Some versions say who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Perhaps we could say who are on duty, right? Now we, we, we use that language when we talk about uh, the fact that we have a standing army, right? We're not, when we say that, we don't mean that they're on their feet right now, every last one of them. None of them are ever sitting down. They stay, no, a standing army means they're on duty. They're ready to serve. They're, they're, they're where they need to be in order to serve. And so, so those who did that were the, were the priests because there would be worship that would go on during the day 
uh, the people would worship and then they would go home or they would if they were on a pilgrimage return to the inn or to wherever it was that they were staying but there would be priests who would stay in the temple all night long first chronicles 9 33 speaks of them saying they were in the chambers of the temple free from other service for they were on duty day and night right because the duty of the priest was to, was to bless the lord to serve the lord to minister to the lord now, what exactly does that mean well we talked about it a little bit last week when we talked about uh what what it meant to be blessed right and we talked about how being blessed often we think of just in terms of receiving something right right i was blessed to receive a gift from somebody we might say that or or me being a big uh, basketball fan and being involved with the high school basketball team at Grand Blank. I follow high school basketball players as they, they get offered a scholarship uh, to play in college. They'll often tweet out something or post it on, on social media and say, I'm so blessed to receive an offer to play basketball at Michigan or Michigan State. I'm not going to choose anything because I don't want to alienate anybody here. But uh, you get the idea. But it's more than just receiving something. It's more than just receiving a gift to be blessed. Remember last week we said it was a positive inner condition of the heart that is happy, joyful, satisfied, contented. And we talked about how it comes to us from the hand of God, right? It's not an external thing, but an internal thing to be blessed, right? It can result from external things for sure. But it's talking about the condition in which we stand. We are we are blessed and here we see something that kind of turns it around though and we we might say well wait a second we talked about being blessed as something that comes from the hand of the lord to us but here it's talking about the priest and their responsibility to bless the lord he who lacks nothing he who needs nothing he who is completely contented in and of himself how exactly does that work? That's a good question. Um, it is a duty for the priest, for sure, but it is uh, a duty that belongs to all of us as well. So much so that Calvin said when he was commenting on this passage, so what God intended was that the priests should lead the way in the divine service and the people take example by what was done in the temple and practice it individually in their private house houses the duty of blessing the people was enjoined upon the priest as representing christ's person and so what we see here is this idea right it, it was a call specifically to the priests but the priests were responsible to kind of set an example for the people and so that the people were to be a blessing to one another and thereby bless the lord well it makes sense that this command would enjoin all of us or it would be something for all of us because what does the bible teach us about our status within the kingdom of god but that we are all priests right that's the whole doctrine of the priesthood of believers first peter 2 9 speaks of us being a royal priesthood and so this responsibility does come to us even though it was not directly intended for us lift up your hands to the holy place it says so that's how we can do this how we can bless god is by 
lifting up our hands. Well, that, that right off the bat, being Presbyterian, kind of freaks us out, right? I mean, that's kind of that Pentecostal thing. And, I mean, are we really allowed to move during worship? I don't know. I mean, we stand up and we sit down, and that's kind of pushing it. Uh, lift your hands. It kind of seems a little bit weird, right? You know, but, but we look here and we want to see what it's talking about. It says, lift up your hands to the holy place. He's talking about uh, addressing God, essentially, right? It, the idea is, is prayer. Now, prayer includes lots of different things. It, it, it should include adoration and worship, and it should include confession of our sin. It should include prayers of thanksgiving and, and prayers of supplication and prayers of intercession. It should be pouring out our worries and our fears to God and, and seeking uh, consolation and help from him. It should be building relationship with him. Just, you know, sometimes we just talk and we just listen, right? There, there, there's times that you just do that and, and your relationship with somebody is strengthened, not because there was any important information that was, was, was communicated, not because, you know, there was something that you really needed to know, but just because you're sharing time with one another and, and your relationship, your bond between each other is strengthened by that. Prayer should be that as well. But, but why does the psalmist say, lift up your hands? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is, quite simply, that was the normal cultural practice of the day. Right? Just like we might say, everybody uh, bow your head and fold your hands. Right? You know uh, what I'm saying there? I'm saying, well, let's pray, right? Uh, in their culture, they wouldn't have folded their hands. They would have lifted their hands. And so there is just, in one sense, just a cultural way that they do it. But is it just that? I would argue no. I think that there is a benefit beyond just kind of cultural, you pick and you choose and do whatever you want. There is a sense in which body posture matters. Now, I want to be careful when I say that. I want to be careful. I'm not saying that, you know, God only hears prayers if you're like this and not if you're like this, right? That's not what I'm saying. It's not like, uh, you know, people who are my age or older will remember this. People younger than me aren't so blessed as to have had this experience. But you remember when, when you'd have a TV and the reception wasn't really working very well. And so if, you know, you were the kid in the family, right? You know, you'd get, get, get your dad would say, hey, hey, Pete, go, go hold the antenna, right? And you go stand there by the TV, right? And you'd, you'd hold the antenna, you know, move a little bit further, move a little bit back. Okay, okay. All right, stand right there, right? You know, and, and, and if you stood right there, you know, you, you kind of like stood like this and, you know, you had your hand on the, and you, now you could watch the TV and it came in clearly, right? And if you let go of it or moved a different way, you couldn't really watch the TV anymore, right? That would happen sometimes. Uh, it's not like that. I'm not saying that, that, that God only can see your prayers if you're in exactly the right position, right? That's not what this is saying. But there is an importance, or at least a benefit, to body posture in that it can speak to us. It can, it can help shape our thoughts and our words and our minds and our hearts if we have our bodies in certain positions, right? That's the whole idea of kneeling in prayer, right? Or of 
bowing your head in prayer. These are, these are acknowledgments that God is greater than us, right? And it's a reminder to our heart to put our, uh, we put our body in a certain position that, that reminds us of that status, that God is above us, that he is more than us, that, that we are below him, that we are his subjects. And so we, we put ourselves in that position. And Calvin says here, when, you know, why do men lift their hands when they pray? He said, is it not that their hearts may be raised at the same time to God? Right? The idea is, is it just reminds us, if we were to pray, lifting our hands, it would remind us that, that God is above us, that he is more than us, that we are lifting our hearts up to him. Much the same as, notice the architecture. A lot of newer churches lose this, but in a traditional church usually, right, you'll, you'll have an architecture that has high ceilings, right? And usually the point brings up to a point, right? And just, just the way... It's, it's built. It, it draws your attention upward, right? Look at our, our windows on the side, right? They, they, they almost point upward, right? The whole idea behind the architecture in, in older churches or more traditional churches is to draw one's attentions up to remind us that the Lord is above us, is beyond us. He is out of our reach, and yet he has condescended to make himself known to us. And when we lift up our hearts to the Lord, this pleases the Lord. It is a blessing to the Lord when we lift up our hearts to him. He says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. We didn't get to talk about this last week. I was going to talk about it some last week. We had to skip over it because we were out of time and and I had to kind of move things quickly but we we're talking about the the family last week and how children uh, you know are, are a, a picture of of the blessing that we can be to our father just as our children are a blessing to us so we can be a blessing to God and and you might be thinking Pete can we really be a blessing to God like I was saying before like like how is it exactly that we can we can bless him who has all things, who needs nothing, who is completely full in and of himself, the triune God. And after all, I mean, is there anything I can do to really make him happy? Don't we, don't we say with the prophet Isaiah that all our righteous deeds are but filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord? Yes, we do say that. We are right to say that. But we need to understand the context of what it's saying there. Say, if we try to find our own righteousness, if we try to establish our own rightness before God, if we try to accrue worthiness to stand before a holy God in and of our own selves, through our own actions, by our own merit, then whatever we would try to do, even the most wonderful of deeds we do, are but filthy rags before us, before God. But if we are instead clothed with the righteous robes of Christ Jesus our Lord, if instead it is his righteousness that we come before the Father wearing gleaming white, whiter than the whitest of bleached clothes you've ever seen, perfectly spotless in every way, then we come before him holy and we even are able to at that point through Christ Jesus, 
offer up praise and worship and a holy life to him, that is a blessing to God. I like how A.W. Tozer put it. He said, God's not hard to please, though he may be hard to satisfy. Right? He, what he's saying here is that, that we can't like, satisfy all righteousness on our own. We can't accomplish that on our own. But in Christ Jesus, we can't please him. Right? There's a, a great example is this, is, is if you have a child or a, a grandchild or maybe a beloved niece or nephew, right? and, and, and let's say they're like three years old, and uh, on your birthday, let's say, they, they draw a card for you, right? Sometimes, sometimes we do that, right? Well, you know, they get out their crayons and they, they fold the paper over and kind of crinkle it in the wrong place a little bit. But, you know, you got the idea. It's mostly folded over, right? And they draw a picture of them and you, right? And it's just stick figures. It's not really all that impressive. But, you know, you get the idea and... They, they write happy birthday to you, H-A-P-E-B-R-T-D-A, you know, happy birthday, right? And you, you, you are sitting there and they come up with a big smile on their face and joy just exuding from them. They, they hand it to you. What do you do when you see that card? Do you look at it and you say, huh, sure, really not much of an artist, are you? And you, you really can't spell very well. You know, we need to get you in school. And, and next time you might want to have somebody help you fold it because you really folded it in the wrong place there. Your efforts are ridiculously poor. Is that how you respond? Of course not. Of course not. You respond in joy and love and happiness. And it's not a feigned happiness either, is it? It's not, it's not one you say, well, okay, here's this piece of junk and I've got I've to pretend to like it, right? No, joy fills your heart. And you take it, you, you put it up on your refrigerator with a magnet there, or perhaps you, you put it on your desk, or, or maybe you've got a folder that you've got in your desk and you put it in that folder so someday in the future you could pull it out again and look at it and be overjoyed with the happiness that it brings you to see it as an expression of love. Was it artistically brilliant? No. Was the spelling right? No. Was it folded right? No. I mean, there's a lot that's wrong with it on the one hand, and yet it brings joy to your heart. That's how it is when we come before the Lord, clothed in Christ's righteousness, in response to his love for us, seeking to bless him with love. We can do that through our praises. We can do that through serving one another. Just as Christ has loved us and forgiven us and shown us his grace, when we in turn then love our neighbor and forgive one who has sinned against us, we not only bless that person, but we bless the Lord. It brings joy to his heart. It's, it's the kind of situation that, that Zephaniah 3 speaks of, where, where the Lord says that he will rejoice over us with singing. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
of the Lord God of the universe. He who created all things. He who, who spoke in the universe, leapt into existence. He who, by the power of his word, holds all things together, sings over you with joy in his heart. What a, what a blessing that is. How is this possible? It's possible because of the cross. It's possible because we who were dead in our sins have life in Christ Jesus. Because we who should have been punished for our sins have had that punishment meted out on Christ Jesus on the cross. It, he has absorbed the righteous wrath of God and he has taken it away so that we now clothed in his righteousness can be seen as holy before God not just seen as holy but truly be holy before God that is the power of the cross the power of the cross is such that it it transfers us out of the king, kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light the power of the cross is such that it it defeats death and gives us new life in Christ Jesus. The power of the cross is such that, that it actually makes us new creatures, able to walk in the, in the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. That is the power of the cross. The power of the cross is such that we can bless God. Well, that's wonderful. So, so verse 3 then, what is it that the priests say to the people in response to all this? May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and on earth. And earth. It's, it's important that we realize here that this is not just a generic, okay, well, have a nice day. Right? It's not even a, you know, safe travels as you're leaving. It's not even just a, may you be blessed. the psalmist here wants us to realize specifically who the source of that blessing is right the source of that blessing is the one who blesses from zion it is the lord capital letters l-o-r-d all caps yahweh the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of covenant promise and steadfast love the god of of absolute righteousness and amazing grace the God who is holy and other and yet who dwells in the midst and amongst his people. Not just some tribal deity, but the God who is God over all. The God who made heaven and earth. The God who is. Right? It, it doesn't matter. You, you might worship him or you might not worship him. It doesn't matter. He is God. You might might acknowledge him or you might not acknowledge him. It doesn't matter. He is God. You might believe he exists or you might not believe he exists. It doesn't matter. He is God. And, and they need to know and, and you need to know that there is nothing that you could possibly need that is beyond the ability of this God to give. Right? Because all is his. He has created all things. This is the God who he is. And not just that, but he is the God who lovingly gives to his children. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As William Plummer once noted, one man blesses God, the utmost he can do is to make known his desires to God, may be honored by himself and all others. But when God blesses one, he not only speaks good concerning him, but that good is sure to be accomplished. Man's blessing is optative, or, or it's, you know, it's his hope, it's his desire. But God's blessing is authoritative. It is operative. It actually happens. And so calling on God to bless man is a powerful thing, and it's especially powerful here because it wasn't just the priest's idea, it was God's idea, right? If you have, have your Bibles out, just turn to number six real quick. It's the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and beginning in verse 24, you'll see the familiar words. And so let's start in verse 22, just to, to give context. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. That's the priests. He says, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But here's the best part. So shall they put my name upon the name of the people of Israel, and I will bless them. It's a promise from God. He promises to bless his people. What's the ultimate end of that promise there, right? That, you know, the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. That's the ultimate blessing. The ultimate blessing is peace, right? Peace is the ultimate, not just the absence of conflict, but, but things being as they ought to be. The world being rightly ordered. This is what God promises to give us. Remember when Jesus died, when he was crucified, when, when, when he was buried, when he rose again. He appeared to Mary Magdalene that morning on that Sunday, but, but the rest of the disciples he did appear to at that point. Later that night, what happened? We read that with the doors being locked, Jesus came to them and stood among them. And what was it he said to them? He said, peace be with you. Right? He said, peace be with you. And later, later he told them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. You see, Jesus is the source of all peace. He is the, he is the essence of all peace. He is, he is the one who brings peace. Ephesians 2 tells us he is our peace. Right? He is the one who makes things right, both in the, the vertical sense between us and God, but also in the horizontal sense, right, between each other. He is the one who has torn down the dividing walls of hostility. He is the one who, is, who has made it so that even we who are different, we who are uh, conservative and we who are liberal, we who are white and we who are black, we who are old, we who are young, we who are tall and we who are short, we who are, whatever difference we might have, he has torn away those differences. As we center on the cross, 
and what Jesus has done for us. We're all bound up together as one body. The body of Christ, he who is the true temple. That is our identity. And so we, we forgive others, even as Jesus forgave us, right? We, we, we want to love one another in this way. We, we serve one another. And, and, and as we forgive one another, it, it, it leads us to having uh, peace with one another, right? It's, it's, it's through that that we're able to, to release one another from conflict. Remember that Jesus has forgiven you of far greater sin than you could ever forgive anyone else. So he calls you to forgive others in the same way. And thus be a blessing to God. So be a blessing to God by the power of God to the glory of God. And receive the blessing of God, which is indeed his peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We worship you. We pray that indeed you would cause us to be at peace with one another and with you through Christ Jesus our Lord. Where we have something against our brother or our sister, may we go to him or her and offer forgiveness. May we take the initiative. May we love and serve one another. In so doing, may we be a blessing to you, even as we do it clumsily, even as we do it weakly, with misspellings and poor drawings. May we do it to your glory, and may you be pleased by it. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.